Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. How are you feeling today? Well, that song was rocking, right? Yeah. Good stuff. That's why it's great to tune into the show. Be one of the first people here and join us. You get to hear all the sweet 80s beats, synthwave style that we play to get the show started this morning. Andy Opperman, he knows what's up. Floby Tenderson, David Lee, they're joining us here live this morning. What about you? Grover Bentley is here with us too, as well as P Ridge 62. Nice to see everybody here. We're ready to rock. Let's get this show on the road. Got a whole bunch of awesome clips for you this morning and some so awesome clips, but we play them because they're hilarious. You know, Biden commander in chief stumbling, fumbling, bumbling. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him. Oh, yeah, we got more of that word salad on its way. We're going to play some clips for you this morning of the commander in chief. You know, the guy who's in charge of all the nuclear weapons. This is going to be a little bit weird. Uh, we'll play those clips. We'll talk about them. Steve Bannon on fire lights up these douche lib journalists uh, in an interview talking about Donald Trump and his legacy. And I think it's pretty good stuff, actually. I'm not the biggest Steve Bannon guy, but I'll tell you this. Uh, I think that uh, he definitely did a service to the movement when he uh, tore into these uh, journalists calling Donald Trump a moderate, which... You know, compared to a lot of people who are Donald Trump supporters, I have to say that's probably true. Um, we'll talk about that, the implications of such this morning at the top of the show. Also, do you know what sophistry means? It's when you tell lies in a beautiful way. Well, John Oliver, of course, is the king of sophistry. Uh, he did a piece yesterday on the conflict between, or excuse me, I guess Sunday, uh, on the conflict between Israel and Hamas. We'll play a little bit of that, analyze that for you as well. And of course, my favorite, Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, we like Vivek. Oh, Vivek. Makes my heart flutter. He took Chris Cuomo to the woodshed on his own show. And uh, Vivek did not forget that Chris Cuomo had lied about COVID and Hunter Biden and was a whole part of that whole regime. We're going to hear from Vivek Ramaswamy, um, not on the show uh, live, I wish. But we're going to talk to or we're going to play the clip of Vivek going, taking uh, Chris Cuomo to the woodshed. So it should be a good show today. Big story today. Why is Bill Gates buying up all that farmland? It's so weird. You know, the guy who made uh, the computers, uh, Windows 3.11. When's the last time we had a good version of, of uh, Windows, Bill? Well, anyways, Bill Gates is buying up land and apparently threatening small farms under the guise of saving the planet. A new book aimed at exposing the billionaire class says that Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates' investments in patented fertilizers, fake meat, and U.S. farmland aren't about saving the planet so much as they are about enriching his own bank account. I have a really interesting and nuanced opinion on this one that you're going to hear this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time. The book is called Controlagarchs, and I have reached out to the author to try and get him on. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to him soon, but um, I'll give you a sneak preview of that today at 7.30 a.m., so a little bit less than 30 minutes from now. We'll talk about that. Bill Gates buying up all the farmland should be a, a good show today. At 8 o'clock this morning, we're going to speak to Camelia Peterson. What's up, CJ? How are you doing? She's going to join us this morning to talk about a chink in the pro-life movement's armor. By the time that abortion makes it to the ballot, the battle's over, writes Daniel McCarthy over at the New York Post. Great piece where he talked about the problem over the fight in abortion in America is as much a religious contest, he says, as a political one. 
Daniel McCarthy says that until the pro-life movement recognizes this, it's going to keep getting shocked by referendum results like those in Ohio last week, which planted a right to abortion in the state's constitution. Yikes. Opponents of abortion are not theocrats, Daniel McCarthy writes. On the contrary, they're so devoted to the separation of faith and law that they think that it would discredit the pro-life cause to tie it too closely to religion. Interesting. We're going to talk about that this morning. We'll hear from Camelia Peterson at 8 a.m., and it'll be a great show with her today. Uh, And then at 8.23, I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, shrinkflation. Have you noticed that your Oreo cookies have gotten... A little bit smaller. I haven't, but now after I was reading this story yesterday, and now I really want Oreo cookies. <laughs> fat kid problems. I may be fat, but I am strong. Oreo cookie cream filling, everybody is saying, is getting smaller in Oreo cookies. And that's not all. Apparently, there are a whole line of products. I've got a list of about 26 products uh, that are suffering from shrinkflation. It's where they they don't charge you more for the item instead they shrink the size of the item and charge you the same price for less boo terrible yeah for sure floby tenderson say vivek dropping napalm that sheet gets me going hell yes agreed Wes Fanning says that Jacob Chomsley, oh, you're already ahead of me there QAnon shaman uh he doesn't like to be called that He, he likes to go by American shaman He's going to be joining us today. You know, you remember him from the storming of the Capitol on January 6th? Well, he's running for Congress, but he's running as a libertarian? Hey, listen, we all got our problems with Uniparty, but uh, I thought that that was an interesting choice for America Shaman, which just goes to show really how much overlap there really is between MAGA Trumpers and libertarians, which I've been trying to explain to people, but nobody wants to hear it because, of course, that means nobody's a really a real libertarian, really, are they, right? Of course, nobody's a real libertarian, including myself. The only real libertarian is me and not you, and I'll fight you to the death over that. Okay. Uh, what else? And that's it. And then uh, the end of the show is the end of the show. Do I have anything underneath that? No, I don't. So if I run out of topics after the QAnon Shaman, then I run out of topics. All right. So where should we start? Should we start with Vivek Ramaswamy? Why not? We all love Vivek. This is called out Chris Cuomo yesterday to his face. Take a listen to this. Ramaswamy. Oh, hello. Why do you keep going at Nikki Haley? Why do you think this is going to bear fruit? Chris, I don't know what you've been smoking, man. You and the rest of the mainstream media. It's laughable. Nikki Haley's been going after me the whole campaign. First debate, second debate. You know, she's been trailing me for much of the time, but I realize the establishment media has realized that there's a puppet they want to put up. I'm not playing Mm -hmm. that game. The grass. Oh, oh my God, man! You, Vivek Ramaswamy, you kicked my dog. Truths of this country know they want a leader who isn't going to send us our sons and daughters to go die in foreign wars that racked up seven trillion in debt. Dick Cheney 2.0 yeah. has taken over the GOP. Problem is the Democratic establishment media is now rooting for war too. I'm the only candidate speaking for a true America First agenda on that debate stage, and I think we're going to be successful. Vivek, how are you going to bring people together? When you just uh, put yeah. together a tapestry of conspiracies, you know that I'm not pitching anything about. Nikki what, Haley. what are you she talking about? I mean, there's no tapestry. She won't even come on there's my no show. What are you talking about? That thing? I'm sure she doesn't. Second. Hold on a second. I let you I let you put it out there. And now, you know, I get to finish smoking and uh, now I get to answer, which is, um, oh, this is what the media is doing is putting up Nikki Haley against me. Well, dude, are, he is smoking something. I mean, have you seen 
the fawning pieces, the coverage from the New York Times and the Washington Post about Nikki Haley and how she won the debate. And I saw this morning they've actually announced another Republican debate. What are they smoking? What is the point? I've got a new piece coming out this week in Human Events where I just say, listen, it's time for us to start putting these candidates out to pasture. Uh, it's, It's time for us to send Lassie to the home. Oh, by the way, my wife and I had this discussion recently, and I'm, I'm going to take a poll from the audience. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. What does it mean when you say, if you have a dog, let's say you have a dog in home, what does it mean when you say that the dog has gone to live on the farm? If you tell your kids, the dog has gone to live on the farm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. You can text the show 573-319, this is just an aside. 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show. Let us know. Uh, 573-319-1586. The, um, when someone says, if parents say to their kids, oh, where did the dog go? Oh, he went to go live on a farm. What does that mean? I want to hear your thoughts on what that means. Because Stephanie and I had a disagreement about that. All right, let's continue with the smack. They know I'm the real they, deal. Picked. Please. She That's, hasn't even been the, on my show. Pick, Chris, I'm just please. watching you get you know slapped what? I, around I, I by her. Kristen and I'm Welker. wondering what your strategy is. I'm watching you get slapped around by her. What debates are you watching? Cuomo is smoking something. The damn fact matters, Chris. The, my strategy is calling out the mainstream media like I did to Kristen Welker at the start of that debate. I asked her about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Told her to look the audience in the eye and apologize to them. Just like I'll tell you, Ooh. you're part of the mainstream media dis- despite pretending like you're not. Look the audience in the eye oh, and tell the mainstream media brother for all that happened. Ooh, ooh, spicy. What spicy? Chris Cuomo's in there being no, like, "Oh God, no God!" All of please, his producers no, right now no, are like, "No, no!" Feebic. He's about to drop the napalm. Oh, yeah. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Wake Up America Show. Do you love the smell of napalm in the morning? Well, we're serving it to you, hot and fresh. We got more for you, too. Steve Bannon coming up here. Just mainstream media. And you, and you, hey, listen. And you play the listen, same you games that the rest you, of the mainstream media does. You don't want to take care of You're your doing family? You're doing it tonight. That's fine. You're, you've been, Vivek, you have been, you have been covering for your you brother. Think, you have been playing you, a game. You were kicked off air from CNN. Of course I helped my brother. Yeah. Of course I do. You know what? That's been journalistic standards that have now been failed, not just by you, but by every member of the broken political media. So, yes, it is going to take an outsider in the media. And you want to look everyone at everyone in the media well, mo- most is the- responsible for covering okay. for my brother. See what I'm saying? Ninety percent. You miss ninety percent of the media the is colluding with going respect too to broad. pushing one one answer Vivek. on the American public for the origin of COVID nineteen, which is what? to the Hunter Biden laptop story, what to now which people they decide they want to put up as their puppets what to take on Donald Trump. What does any of that have to do? Fact of the matter. Look. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's such an inside joke. I don't know if I should tell it uh, with the story of my, oh, my God. Um, That was good stuff. That was good stuff. We want to give it up to Vivek Ramaswamy. Send us a text this morning with your thoughts at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. We got lots of great content for you today, but I want to hear your thoughts uh, if you say that uh, if the dog has been put sent to a farm, what does that mean? Okay, I need to know. I need to know what you what it means to you. If somebody says, see, Quest Fanning, he says, I, Stephanie, I know you're not listening to this now, but you will later. 
Same as being put out to pasture in that context. It's the same as lead poisoning. It means that that's dead. But I did actually meet a, a dog that moved to an actual farm. Okay, thank you. <laughs> because Stephanie was disagreeing with me saying that, no, that that her dog actually did go to live on a farm. That like when when her dad told her that her dog went to, that they had that bot, bit people, apparently they had a dog for a little while that like bit everyone. And he said that the dog went to live on a farm. Uh, whenever a dog goes to live on a farm, at least as someone who grew up on a farm, we never had any dogs that came to live on our farm from other people that bit a lot of dogs. But I knew a lot of people whose parents told their kids that their dog went to live on a farm, but they actually took them out to the farm to shoot the dog, or they uh, had took the dog to the vet and had it put down. Am I wrong? <laughs> I'm sure there are some dogs that actually went to go live on farms, but as far as I'm concerned, when somebody says that, oh, we're going to take them, put them out to pasture, that means, see, Caleb Vanderfelt's texting me. He says, I'd say that means the dog is dead. Never heard the phrase before. My parents used to tell us the dog run away, ran away or someone took it. <laughs> That's sad. Uh, yeah, no, whenever that was a thing when you when you say, oh, we're going to take it, the dog went to go live on a farm. That meant that you kill the dog. You had to put the dog. That's what you tell the kids. But I'm glad everyone's agreeing with me because I'm smart and brilliant and also very attractive. But obviously. Thanks for tuning in to the Wake Up America show. If you're just joining us now, click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'll be glad to have you here this morning. Uh, P Ridge 62 says Chris Cuomo's interview with Vivek looks more like a debate than an interview. Yeah, exactly. Cuomo just continually proving why he's trash, says Will Run Riot. Amen, my man from Springfield. Corey and Callie says put to pasture for us was always retiring a horse to no longer be uh, to be used. Live on the farm means dead, says Corey and Callie. Exactly. Thank you. I was trying to explain stuff. I was like that dog. That bit everybody, that dog got put down. Uh, anyways, all right. So I don't know why. I'm not I'm not like the the guy who sits around watching Steve Bannon's War Room. I know it's a huge show, way more popular than mine, so I'm not criticizing it at all. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's not my style of content. But uh, these clips that came by my desk yesterday, shared by uh, my editor at Human Events, Jack Posobiec, of Steve Bannon calling out the mainstream media to the face, just made me smile and laugh and feel a little happy. So I'll share it with you. Civil war between the Republican establishment and MAGA. And in there, you have litmus test, okay? And one of the litmus tests is, is not just President Trump, but also particularly the stealing of the 2020 election. That is a fundamental tenet of this movement. By the way, they've made it all about Trump, okay? This movement is ascended and is going to go on long after Donald Trump is going to get more powerful and broader. Even if a Democrat was to win, there's no compromise here. What you're saying is even if Trump lost to Biden, there's no going back to the old no, Republican No, farther right than Trump. Farther right. President Trump is a moderate in our movement. You're going to pine in future years that you wished Donald Trump was around. <laughs> okay, so a couple things there. Uh, true that there is a litmus test uh, in the MAGA movement. M most movements have litmus tests, you know, and it's, you know, purity tests and things like that. Libertarians, of course, have the same thing. But um, I think it's interesting that Bannon calls Donald Trump a moderate compared to most MAGA people. That's true. That's that's correct. If you look at the issues, Trump is very moderate on certain things. I think that and that's really what's dro driven a lot of people nuts, especially his supporters. I mean, consider what what's what's he moderate on? Well, vaccines, for example, right? I think most MAGA people were pretty much 
not fans of how Donald Trump handled the vaccine question. Um, they also think that he didn't do enough on immigration when he was in office. I mean, look at how Ann Coulter is treating Donald Trump and the way she speaks about him. Isn't she much more hardcore than he is on a lot of these policy issues? I, I think Steve Bannon is correct in saying that, you know, you know, in the future, if the MAGA movement continues its takeover of the GOP, I think that a lot of people are going to wish that a lot of the leftists, especially a lot of Trump haters and a lot of never Trump Republicans are going to pine for the days that Donald Trump was rotten. Now they, they miss George W. Bush these days. Anyways, this is another great clip from the from that same interview series that he did. The, at the convention and said, I am your voice. And now Trump says, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Backward looking, vengeful, grievance driven. You know that the way people win in America is to talk about the future. They talk about the future. There's going to be some bad words, FYI, if you want to turn it down. Sick of people say elections about the future. Yeah. That is total bullshit. Are they about the voters? It's about the lived experience of the voters. Yeah. Because the lived experience of their life sucks. And the reason it sucks is a fucking unfeeling uniparty in Washington, D.C. that says, go fuck yourself. You're nothing but serfs, and we don't give a shit about you. So you from the campaign. Hard to disagree with Bannon there. But an interesting point, right? So this reporter is, is uh, and journalist is interviewing Steve Bannon and saying, what are elections about? Are they about the future? Are they about the past? They're accusing Donald Trump of running a campaign based on revenge and vengeance. Well, let's not pretend that those things don't animate voters Donald as Trump well. Trump stood up at the convention and said, I am your voice. And now Trump says, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Backward looking, vengeful, grievance driven. You know that the way. I mean, but backwards looking, vengeance driven, right? Let's not pretend like these things don't animate voters. Let's not pretend that anger, rage, uh, these all these negative emotions can't necessarily turn people out at the polls. They can. Now, you could look at the recent string of electoral losses that the Republican Party is engaged in and say, well, maybe it's not actually going to, it, maybe it doesn't actually turn people out at the ballot box. But remember this, you know, Donald Trump lost one election uh, that his name was on the ballot, and we'll see what happens next year. And of course, it does look like he's going to be the candidate. Now, these aren't the strongest arguments I think you could make in favor of Donald Trump for next year. But I think that Bannon People has a good point here. In, in America, is to talk about the future. They talk about the future. They talk I'm about so the voters. Sick of people say elections about the future. Yeah. That is totally. Are they about the voters? It's about the lived experience of the voters. Yeah. Because the lived experience of their life. I love that look on the guy's face. He's like, you know, these two liberal journos who are trying to nail Bannon, right? The lived experience of the journos. He's like, woo, what? I think the problem with people who uh, dislike Steve Bannon, especially from the left, is they always underestimated his intelligence. And that was the big mistake that they made, uh, that the liberals made in 2016. They didn't underestimate the, mo the MAGA movement's intelligence in 2020. Uh, and they did, they took, they pulled out all of the stops to win the election. Right. And it, you know, there's a whole, obviously the question of whether or not the election was stolen, if that's a litmus test for the MAGA people, right. I'm not going to meet that litmus test, but in regards to the understanding of the reasons that pe that voters are driven to the polls, I think Bannon honestly makes a good argument here. Sucks. And the reason it sucks is a fucking unfeeling uniparty in Washington, DC that says, Go fuck yourself. Agreed. You're nothing but serfs, and we don't give a shit about you. So you 
in the campaign. I agree. I mean, like you could hear that from any libertarian, right? And we are probably because guess what? America Shaman uh, is going to be joining this morning. I'm looking forward to hearing from the man himself, the January, the most famous person to come out of January 6th. We're going to hear from him today at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. I'm looking forward to hearing from him and his point of view on these topics more. But of course, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You can text the show today at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Real brief commercial break. I wanted to talk to you about something that I, I thought you guys might like. So Yes, uh, yesterday or two days ago, Stephanie and I are sitting on the couch on the weekends, and we just love to work on the weekends for whatever reason, right? We're watching TV, and Stephanie likes to shop, but she doesn't like to shop for herself or spend her own money so much. She's not, I mean, she likes to go shopping and stuff, but she never spends money on herself. She's so unselfish. But uh, just a couple of days ago, she was sitting down and shopping for the store. She likes to shop for AP for Liberty Shop, and she found this beautiful American flag infinity scarf that everybody just absolutely loves for whatever reason. I mean, I'm not a scarf guy so much. I used to be back when I had to, you know, walk around outside in New York City all the time. These days I don't wear a scarf as much, but I am tempted by this one just because it's so cool. The American Flag Infinity Scarf for sale at ap4libertyshop.com and they are flying off of the shelves. And they're $20 delivered to your front door. So it's a good price. And um, all you got to pay is tax, obviously, of course, but I would grab a couple of these. I mean, think about all the people in your life that you think uh, love America and would be happy to get something like this as a Christmas gift. If you want to start getting those things in time, remember, shipping gets a little crazy around the holidays. So I highly recommend that you head over to AP4LibertyShop.com and get yourself an American flag infinity scarf. Also, for those of you who love the coffee, we've got some exciting things happening today. We've got some changes coming to the coffee company that I think our regular customers are really going to love. So today would be a good day to reorder coffee, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And I don't want to tell you what it is exactly, because some of you are going to be surprised when you get your coffee in the mail. And then others, I'm waiting until I get my coffee in the mail so that I can bring it onto the set and show you all of the exciting new changes that we have that are coming to Founding Flavors. So check out AP4LibertyShop.com if you've been thinking about making a purchase. Today's a good day to do so. And of course, since the holiday season is here, I mean, what a great gift to get for the uh, Liberty lover in your life, an American Flags Infinity Scarf for $20, again, delivered. That's shipping included there. So $20 all set for you, delivered to your front door, ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, ap4libertyshop.com. Got to give it up to Steve Bannon. Thought that was a really good segment. How's our commander-in-chief doing? Let's check in on him. President Harris, there to make sure we do this the right way. What is that? President Harris is here to make sure we do this the right way. President Harris. Now, if you didn't think about it for just a second, or maybe if you were pulling a Biden, you might forget that uh, Kamala Harris is not the president of the United States, but uh, Joe Biden is the president of the United States, and uh, she's not president yet, Joe. President Harris there to make sure we do this the right way. Okay, well, um, who's really in charge there, Joe? President Harris or President Biden? Uh, this one promise. Don't get the filled up eagles to leave and go. Because I'll get divorced if that happens. I married a Philly girl, and, and it's a long story. This one promise. Don't get the filled up eagles to leave and go. 
Because <laughs> I'll get divorced if that happens. Okay, Joe, how else are we doing John, here? First true undrafted player in history off of the draft to win the final, win that final MVP trophy. John, the first true undrafted player in history off of the draft to win the final, win that final MVP trophy. John, the first true undrafted. It's not doing so good there. Um, maybe um, on foreign policy, he's got his ducks in a row. Let's take a listen. The hospital in Gaza. The hospital Kelly was in Gaza. In. Have you expressed any specific concerns to Israel on that, sir? Well, uh, you know, I uh, have not been reluctant in expressing my concerns that's going on. Um, and it's my hope and expectation that uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. Uh, we're in contact. And we're with, uh, with the Israelis. Also, there is an effort to uh, uh, take this pause to deal with the release of prisoners. And that's being negotiated as well with the Qataris that are engaged. And uh, so I remain somewhat hopeful. But the hospital must be protected. And Joe Biden is really struggling. All right. Well, speaking of struggling... I'm going to go take a quick little bathroom break. When we get back, Bill Gates, why is he buying up all the farmland? Is it in our interest or in his own? We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. All right, break time's over. Back to work. Good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Today is Tuesday. The 14th of November. What are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? Going on a trip to go see your in-laws? Or is everybody coming over to your house? We always like to invite our family over to our house in Jefferson City, Missouri. My mother-in-law is coming to visit, which we're really excited about. I love her. And it's always fun to get to see her and spend some time with her together. And then we actually have a trip to San Francisco planned to see my in-laws um, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and their family here coming up in January. Yes, looking forward to that one. And San Francisco actually got cleaned up. Congratulations. Apparently San Fran can do it. What about you? Any fun holiday plans? Love to hear from you guys this morning or this evening or whenever you'd like to send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Oh, and it looks like Rumble didn't feature us today, aw. So do us a favor, would you? Click that like button and subscribe to the channel. If you wanna support the Wake Up America show on days like today, we really appreciate it if you make actual contributions to the program in the form of Rumble Rants. And when you do things like that, it helps us to offset the loss of advertising revenue whenever Rumble decides not to put us on the front page. Makes no, us sad. No. God. No, God, please. But no, that's okay. Rumble's no, been very good to no. us and we appreciate them for all the features they've been giving us over the last few months, helping us to grow our business and to grow our support. But in the end of the day, if we don't have support from people like you, then the Wake Up America show is gone. East kaput. The Statue of Liberty East kaput, kaput, if you will. No, just kidding. We're sticking around for a while. We've got a lot going on behind the scenes to help us to grow the show. Things like our Wake Up America show website, 
as well as, of course, the AP4LibertyShop.com merchandise site, which helps helps keep us in business as well. Again, text the show anytime, night or day, 573-319-1586. The show line is always open, and I check it night and day. Clementine says, yes, Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. It's like Christmas without the stress of shopping for gifts. Yes, exactly. You get to spend time with family, eat food. The only stress really comes in just you know having to put together the holiday meal, which um, you know as for us is always a big occasion. We look forward to our time with spent with our family and our friends. And there will be some days that we are going to be taking Aww. off of the Wake Up America show. It will happen. I know it does happen. The Austin does. Uh, I am like uh, not a robot, so I do need to get my rest sometimes. All right. Well, um, I saw the story in the New York Post yesterday. Great topic. Definitely one to discuss. No fans of Bill Gates here. Bill Gates is buying up land and threatening small farms under the guise of saving the planet, according to a new book aimed at, quote, exposing the billionaire class. Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates's investments in patented fertilizers, fake meat and U.S. farmland aren't saving the planet, writes this new author but rather enriching his own bank account. Mm, Interesting. I'm going to have a nuanced opinion on this one, per usual. This book, Controlligarchs, which hits the bookshelves today, examines billionaires like Bill Gates and how their wealth controls the levers of power that dominate the everyday life of average Americans. Fascinating. So author and investigative journalist by the name of Seamus Bruner, He's led teams whose findings have sparked multiple FBI investigations and congressional probes into the Clinton and Biden families. So this guy's a big deal, says that his research uncovered that Gates's efforts to buy up American farmland and invest in synthetic synthetic dairy and lab grown meats in the name of preventing climate change is really about his pocketbook rather than actually saving the planet. No surprise there. I mean, why should we be surprised at what billionaires are doing or trying to get even richer than before? But how do you feel about the synthetic dairy and the lab-grown meats? I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a hippie, okay? I'm not, I'm not a believer in organic anything. I don't mind GMO foods and stuff like that. But I'll tell you this. I don't drink the weird diet sodas. I don't eat the synthetic meats. I don't eat the bugs and I won't live in the pod. Okay. And it's, it's not because I'm necessarily, um, it's not because I'm woo woo on these things, right. That I think it's like some conspiracy to like force us to live in uh, trailer uh, homes or whatever it is uh, that, you know, that you might get from your typical libertarian take on this because I got something in my eye. Uh, but it's just simply because I think that the oh, the hyper processing that goes into it again not to say, everything's processed these days, but the amount of processing that goes into making these fake foods and meats it's like just eat the real meat, just eat real meat. I because real meat is healthy, and, and here's the deal: it, it should take time for us to find out, you know, just about how healthy some of these weird plant alternatives are that they make. I don't really think they taste that good anyway, and quite frankly, it can't be better for you than actually eating real meat, right? And I'm not going to commit a naturalistic fallacy here and say that, oh, just because something is natural, that means that it's good or that it's better for you because obviously arsenic is natural, but that doesn't mean that it's good for you. However, I just think that this stuff's weird. It's just a, it's just a gut feeling for me. And listen, maybe there have been studies that show that this, uh, this stuff is perfectly fine, but synthetic dairy, lab-grown meats, you know what? Not for me. I just want to eat the, the the delicious beef 
that we got from our Missouri farm here, right in, in our, you know, in our homeland, right here in the middle of the country. And I just want to drink my delicious cow's milk like God intended. Oh, wait, God didn't actually intend us to drink cow's milk. Well, there's there isn't a line of females willing to lining up, waiting for me to suck their boobs to get human milk. There we go. So <laughs> there's only one. Uh, don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel. If you're just tuning in this morning, we'd love to have your support. And you can text the show today at 573-319-1586. Andy Opperman's weighing in. He says that I have a more nuanced opinion on the GMO debate. There are harmless modifications. There are sinister ones. Grover Bentley says aspartame is horrible for your brain. See, I've read things like that. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. But I'll tell you this. Alcohol sugar makes me poop my pants, and I am never doing that again. How dare you? I'm not going to do it. Uh, not going to do it, and not going to have it again. I just, first of all, I think that, what is it, stevia? I think it tastes gross. I, I just don't like the taste of it, and then it makes my tum-tum upset. It's like, just eat, if you're going to eat something sweet, just eat sugar, okay? And and here's the thing. You all, you know what your problem is, America? You, you don't have portion control, right? You just can't control your portions, he says with his giant belly here, right? I just want to say, oh, Green Hills Goose says testosterone levels are dropping in men 1% every year. I don't believe that's coincident. Probably true, but it's not probably in uh, tied 100% to the food that we're eating. It probably has a lot to do. What's up, Scott? It probably has a lot to do with um, the fact that we're not getting as as much exercise, right? We're sitting in desk jobs and we're not getting up off of our butts and moving, right? And it, food definitely plays a part in that, in my opinion, but it also has to, a lot to do, I think, with interpersonal relationships. I think I think there's a psychological component to it as well. And I can't prove this and I can only point to anecdotal data, but I will say that I think that the emasculation of men in society probably has a psychological impact on men and that there's more than just a, a chemical impact that's coming in from the food that they're eating. Although I do think that the food that we are eating absolutely has an impact. However, I think that there's probably more factors than just the food that are contributing to the loss of testosterone in, in our society. Just eat real sugar, says Gwilkas. Yes, exactly. Eric Wilson says, aspartame gives me migraines. Yeah, I just don't like that, any of that artificial stuff. I don't eat the artificial sweeteners. I don't don't drink the diet sodas. If I drink a soda, it's because I'm at a restaurant and, and I'm enjoying myself out, right? We don't buy soda and bring it home. Sometimes I'll have a Sprite at home, but it's it's uh, it's the odd thing out. I probably drink more whiskey at home than I drink anything else, which is definitely, you know, probably worse than soda in some ways. In some ways, it's good, right? Green Hills Goose says, true, lifestyle is part of it. I agree, exactly. Uh, Glocus0422 says, okay, so I'm no doctor, but cancer has exploded since the invention of fake foods. Okay, true, but be careful of making these causation correlation fallacies, right? So for the, the, the question of cancer, one of the things that I think you have to remember too is that other than in the United States, typically our, um, <clears throat> in the developed world, our life expectancies have increased. Now, since COVID-19, we have gone down. In the United States, and we talked about this last week, the United States has gone down to number 34 in terms of life expectancy. So one of the lowest life expectancies in the developed world here in the United States. And I do think that that uh, has a lot to do with illness <clears throat> related, excuse me, not only to the pandemic, 
but also related to illness caused by obesity, because we are the fattest nation in the world as well. And I think that the cancer epidemic that we're engaging in, the explosion of cancer, is due to a variety of factors as well. It's not just the food that we're eating or how much of it, how much of it we're eating, but also we're drinking more. Um, that was another one of the findings in the life expectancy discussion that we had last week, is that more Americans are drinking more alcohol. And a lot of people got depressed during the pandemic. A lot of people gave up, excuse me, a lot of people gave up during the pandemic. They stopped working out, they stopped eating healthy, they smoked more, and they drank a whole lot more. So smoking, drinking, being sedentary, I mean, these are cancer causers, right? Food absolutely plays a role in it. But like we were saying earlier with Green Hills Goose, lifestyle absolutely has a lot to do with it. But also think about this, compared to 100 years ago, the life expectancy in the United States is still higher. Why is that? Well, modern medicine is helping us to live longer. And if we live longer, then more people are going to live long enough to get cancer. What am I trying? What am I saying when I say that? The longer you live, the chances the chances that you're going to get cancer continue to grow. Right? The the older that you are, the chances that you're going to get cancer continue to metastasize, if you to turn a phrase, if you will. So if there is a um, if there is a causation for the explosion in cancer, it could be that because we are living longer as well overall. So more people are getting diagnosed with cancer because more people are living long enough to get cancer versus dying of a bad a bad tooth, right? You used 100 years ago, 150 years ago, if you had a tooth that went bad and you didn't get it out, then it would abscess in your mouth and you'd die of sepsis of the mouth, right? Things like that aren't happening. People aren't dying. More children are are surviving childbirth than they were 150 years ago, if you will, uh, and not dying at 50, 60 years old. We're living to 70, 80 years old. So people are living long, long enough to get cancer. So variety of factors when it comes to foods. So in regards to obesity, eating crap processed foods, says Guokas, probably true. But again, you could eat crap processed foods and still lose weight. There was a teacher who went on a McDonald's diet and he simply counted the amount of calories that he had and he lost weight. So that's the problem with the whole idea behind the problems of processed food, if you will. It's, um, it, it's a question of how much are you eating, portion control. And this is really too where a lot of like the you know, hippie left and right wing conspiracy theorists make mistakes when it comes to understanding of what's in our food because they also forget that with portion control also is a question of dosage. So uh, for example, you know, aspartame itself, probably not good for you in certain amounts, right? But tiny amounts, maybe not going to hurt you. I choose not to eat it because I don't think it tastes good. And I, I'm just suspicious of it in general. But dosage is key, you can have a certain amount of certain types of foods. And as long as you don't eat too much of it, I mean, if you drink too much water, you can die of poisoning because you can die from eating or drinking anything in too large of an amounts. So the real problem comes back, in my opinion, to portion control. Uh, and that's really where I think a lot of the problems are when it comes to the understandings of what's what's I mean, when we're really talking about healthy food, in my opinion, what we're talking about here are vitamins and minerals. Are you getting the proper amount of vitamins and minerals in the food that you're eating? If you're eating Twinkies all day long, you're probably not getting enough omega-3s. 
right? If you're eating ding-dongs and you're eating pizza and you're eating, you know, you might be getting enough vitamins and minerals in the pizza that you're eating, but the amount of oil that you're eating alongside that is so high and so calorie rich that you're destroying the benefits of the vitamins and minerals that you're getting in the pizza because you're getting uh, the extreme calorie bomb that's coming from the oils that are in that pizza. So the problem is, is that people don't understand portion control. They don't know how much they can actually eat and they don't know what they need to do to lose weight. I'll tell you this, it's honestly not hard to lose weight if you just reduce the amount of food that you eat. It's not even what food you're eating. Again, you can eat cheeseburgers every day. It's it's funny because when Stephanie and I was losing weight uh, a couple of years ago, I went on a pretty strict diet and I was losing a uh, a lot of weight really fast. And the the thing about the um, the thing about losing weight was simply what how much of it I was eating, how much of the food I would eat. I could bring home. I actually would bring home a pizza to Stephanie from Pizza Hut, because if you eat a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut, that thing is actually only 600, 650 calories, even the pepperoni one. If you get a cheese, it's like 600. If you get a pe pepperoni pizza, it's like 650 or something. But you can eat a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut for lunch. And as long as that you just eat that pizza, now I'm getting hungry. Um, <laughs> my stomach is growling. Uh, if you just eat that pizza and then have like some water with it on the side, you can put cheese and peppers and stuff on the pizza. That's, that's fine. 600 calories is about what you should be going for in each meal, but that's not what we usually eat. And I'm, listen, I'm fat kid like the rest of us. I'm guilty just like the rest of us, right? If you're eat, you can eat pasta for a meal, as long as it's like a, like a fist size amount of pasta with a nice piece of chicken, you can have chicken Parmesan, right? And, and the chicken parm is going to be, you can have a, a meal that's like about, you know, 600 to 1200 calories, as long as the other two meals of the day are like, what I do is I eat oatmeal every morning. I eat oatmeal every morning. And that ends up being with, because I use milk in it um, and a little bit of fruit, it ends up being maybe 150 to 200 calories for my breakfast, right? And so that way I can portion out for the rest of the day. And then lunch, a salad with some chicken in it or a Caesar salad with some anchovies in it, right? Really good, healthy protein gives you the fruit and mineral, uh, it gives you the minerals and vitamins that you need, right? Omega threes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can find good, healthy food. And then if I've, if my salad was only 600 to 800 calories, then you can have a nice meal for dinner. Then you can have a steak and maybe a potato for, for dinner and you're not going to blow up your diet. You can stick to about 2000 to 2500 calories a day. And as long as you're exercising as well, you're probably going to lose weight. Anyways, this was not supposed to be a conversation about weight loss. This was more supposed to be a conversation about, <clears throat> excuse me, Bill Gates uh, and why he's buying up all of the farmland. And the new book that's coming out today is called Controlagarchs. Uh, and the author writes that Bill Gates is doing more to inflate his net worth than eliminate carbon emissions. We knew that they were all hypocrites. Bruner says that first it was patented seeds and patented fertilizers. And now they are patenting meat alternatives. Banning cattle would grant effective monopolies to the alternative protein companies and benefit investors such as Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and even BlackRock. Fake meats are about controlling the food market, not saving the planet. I know Stephanie's ears are perked up because she loves those fake meats. Peter Schreitzer, who is the author of Red Handed, Clinton Cash, and Profiles in Corruption, 
wrote the foreword to this book, Controlagarchs, in which he said the book peers into the future and provides a haunting and revelatory expose of the leftist elite's playbook for the next five years. One chapter in the book focuses on the war on farmers and makes the case that tech giants like Gates are monopolizing the nation's food supply. He says that the takeover of the food system, like so many of the other control schemes in this book, began with the Rockefellers and was advanced by Bill Gates. Like most of their monopolies, from oil to software and eventually biotechnology, the takeover of food is all about controlling the intellectual property of food production through trademarks, copyrights, and patents. And that's really where the libertarian hackles start to get raised there, is the question of how they prevent small farmers from being able to compete with them by monopolizing through the um, intellectual property system here in the United States, the copyright system as well. One listener sent us a text this morning, says, to be honest, I fear China taking over our farmland and food production. Also, it seems like our food production is reminiscent of the Industrial Revolution in Britain, food dyes and chemicals. What are your thoughts? Do you agree? You can send us a text message like that too at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show anytime, night or day, 573-319-1586. Magister Luddite says Austin shirt is a plus. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Uh, again, text the show anytime, night or day at 573-319-1586. All right. Well, let's talk about a little something else. So um, John Oliver, he is the king of sophistry, and he's trending this morning because he did a video talking about the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And as a leftist, you can predictably assume that he'll be taking a side in this one, and it won't be the side of civilization. Um, but what's interesting about his criticisms of Israel is that it really is that that perfect example of sophistry. Lies told in a beautiful way, uh, uh, lies by omission, by not telling the other side of a story and not considering things in context, uh, but presenting a one-sided view of things in order to advance his own opinion while pretending to be some kind of objective journalist in a way. But he's really just a comedian, right? So look up sophistry if you don't know the definition of it, because it's something that you really want to look out for when you're watching and listening to the news, especially. But when you hear comedians like John Oliver, etc., um, then you you really have to have your bullshit detectors uh, uh, up at full tilt. So take a listen to this. The persona around an extreme version of safety through strength, which has included active opposition to the peace process at crucial points. When former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin agreed to the Oslo Peace Accords, which attempted to set a framework for an eventual resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Netanyahu was fiercely against it, infamously speaking at a rally where protesters chanted, in blood and fire, we will expel Rabin, and held aloft depictions of him in a Nazi uniform. Soon after that, Rabin was killed by a far-right Israeli extremist, and Rabin's widow blamed Netanyahu for stoking the flames that led to that. And in the wake of that assassination, Netanyahu's political career well, that's just seems dead. So, you know, Yitzhak, Yitzhak Rabin, you know, former prime minister of Israel, was assassinated. And sh uh, the widow blames Netanyahu. What the f Excuse me. What the f does that have to do with this, right? It's all... See, this is why it's sophistry, because what John Oliver is doing is, is he is emotionally... Getting you emotionally charged and starting by getting you to dislike Netanyahu, and insidiously, in a way, 
trying to almost pin the blame for the assassination of Ichak Rabin on Netanyahu. That's why he does this. This is sophistry, right? Lies by omission and uh, emotional blackmail that he engages in. We've seen a lot of libertarians doing this over the last several weeks as well. And it wasn't until a series of bus bombings by Hamas in Israel as part of their own efforts to derail the peace accords that Netanyahu was first elected prime minister. And his So Hamas was responsible for the election of Benjamin Netanyahu. Let's not forget, it wasn't like Benjamin Netanyahu came out of nowhere and all of a sudden became prime minister of Israel. For those of you who've been watching the show ever since the October 7th terror attacks, you've probably seen that I've been playing debates that Netanyahu was a participant in civic affairs in Israel and public life global affairs ever since he was a young man. After he had gotten out of the IDF and the Mossad, he participated in the intelligence agencies, which is the Mossad is basically CIA for um, the IDF. If, for those of you who don't know the history of Netanyahu, highly recommend that you look into it. This is a man who actually saw his brother being killed defending their country. He has got an incredible military history and a lifetime of service to the people of Israel. It's not to say that he's a perfect person or that everything he has done is is untouchable or attainable, but he very much is like a George Washington style figure for Israel. So let's continue. Of, I am the only one who can keep you safe has been consistent ever since. Here he is in the run up to Israel's 2014 election, making that point again. I feel the Jewish nation is under threat, and I'm prepared to mitigate that danger. It's what he the was state right. of Israel expects from me, and it's what I'll do. He was right. And what, what, wasn't he right about that? I mean, he was correct that Israel was in danger. What, what are you trying to prove here, that John? That is a big claim that just hasn't dated very well. Honestly, I haven't seen a politician's words age so poorly since Hillary Clinton tweeted, happy birthday to this future president. <laughs> So he has always been hard right, but it's worth taking a minute to underscore. He's always been hard right. What does that mean exactly, John? You see, the problem with the left, of course, is that for they can use terms like that and get their audience nodding when nobody knows what the f that is that they're actually trying to say. What does that mean? Oh, everybody, because everybody's hard right. Everybody is hard right to John Oliver. Who's not hard right? You know who's not hard, hard right? Nikki Haley is not hard right to these people. You know who's who's not hard right? Tim Scott is not hard right for these people. You know who's not hard right for them? George W. Bush is not hard right for them. You know who's not hard right to the left? Anybody that the Republican Party actually likes. If there's anybody that that the that the grassroots base of conservatives or libertarians or people on on the right actually like as part of their elected leadership or what have you, those are all hard right. Because, of course, the left doesn't want the people who, who the right actually wants to be governed by to be in Just charge. Just how extreme his current government is. Because the truth is, Netanyahu has been struggling to hold office in the last half a decade. Voters there actually endured five elections in just four years because neither Netanyahu nor anyone else could form a stable majority. How many elections have there been in Gaza, by the way? <laughs> he only made it back into power last year by forming a coalition with those on the furthest right wing of Israeli politics, leading to oh the most- Oh my God, oh no! Most right wing government in country's history. Who is this supposed to convince, right? This is not John Oliver laying out the recitation of the facts. This is a, char this is a character defamation piece. It uses words which he doesn't define, and it's, it's essentially right slander. In the country's history. 
Oh, no. The most right-wing government in the country's history? Sounds great. Sign me up. I'm a fan. You're a f***ing idiot, John Oliver. His cabinet is stocked with extremists. Take Itamar Ben... Extremists? Wow. <laughs> You'll love to see it. He's been convicted on at least eight charges, including supporting a terrorist organization and incitement to racism. Whoa, he was convicted on incitement to racism based and red-pilled because we all know that anything that the left calls racist is probably good. Supporting a terrorist organization? Which terrorist organization was that, John? Which terrorist organization was it, John? so fringe, the Israeli army rejected him from mandatory service. But he... (laughs) So so he was rejected from mandatory service because he was so based and red-pilled. Wow. I want to know more about this guy, don't you? He's now Netanyahu's Minister of National Security. Meanwhile, his current finance minister... All right, Austin, I got to stop. Damn it. This is good stuff, though. Do you want me to come back to this a little bit later in the show? I will. I've got the QAnon shaman, or I'm sorry, America shaman. He doesn't like to be called that, QAnon shaman. He's running for office as a libertarian. He's going to join us here in 30 minutes. But first, we got Camelia Peterson to talk about the chink and the pro-life movement's armor when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Glad to have you here. Click that like button, subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content, and come back and join us here on the show every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time when we stream the show. We fight for economic freedom and personal liberty. That's what we're all about. You can text us anytime, night or day, at 573 573- 319-1586. Our friend Leisha Wilder from the boot heel over there, she's r- commenting on Rumble. She says, did anyone see the video of the twitching meat? I did, and I gotta say, made me hungry. I love it. Nice. Give it to me raw and wriggling. But where is that meat coming from? Maybe it matters. Would you eat food from a Chinese cow? I don't know. Stick your head up a butcher's ass and we'll find out. Oh, <laughs> it's a terrible quote from a movie that I know Camelia Peterson hasn't seen. She's joining us live right now. Good morning, CJ. How you doing? Good morning. <laughs> Twitching meat. I don't. And I, you're right. I have no idea what that movie quote is. I just every time this subject comes up, I think about when I was growing up as a kid. My dad telling us that one of these days that meat would just be grown on hooks in a factory. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I, uh, I. I know you have a really strong opinion about the. Um, about the buying up of farmland here in the United States with China, or at least. You're always like rolling your eyes and huffing and puffing whenever Missouri uh, Republicans are like, we need to prevent China from buying up farmland in the state of Missouri. And you're like, what? Well, so here's the thing. It's such a huge political football because it's one of those things that anybody can twist to to suit whatever their whatever narrative they're trying to sell to voters. And it's such because it involves China, it's such clickbait, outrage clickbait that, you know, people just can't resist it. And the thing is, is that Missouri historically has gone back and forth with how much foreign ownership of land they allow. There were no caps on it, you know, 100 years ago, and then they capped it completely and then they undid it again. And so now, um, and this is partially thanks to our current U.S. Senator Eric Schmidt, um, it is capped at 1%. Now, I do think that there is a, a loophole of some kind that they do need to take care of and close, and everybody acknowledges that. I think it's just a matter of doing it. But there's not this huge buy-up of, of farmland by China in Missouri 
but it people find that very scary. And, you know, here's the thing: the common sense approach to this is: Do you think if if the U.S. had issues with China and all of a sudden, like we needed to put our foot down, that we would not be okay with saying, um, "Sorry, you're out. We're taking back our land. Too bad." I, mean, I feel know. like I, well, here's the thing: there's there's the principle, and then there's the practice. So. Like one of the problems that I have with the liberty movement is that they want to fight every battle all the time, everywhere, all at once. And that's the sure way to lose the war. When it comes to the question of China buying up farmland in the state of Missouri, you know, should we, uh, you know, be creating laws to prevent something like that from happening? Probably not. But in regards to the amount of political capital that we want to spend defending a com communist government's ability to be able to operate here in the state of Missouri... Sure. It's definitely low on the priority list for me when it comes to fighting for liberty. Yeah, for sure. I just, I, and one of the things when you talk about unintended consequences that people just do not talk about, they don't think about um, with regard to if you all of a sudden banned all, and I will tell you, one of our gubernatorial candidates is not just talking about banning foreign China owning farmland in Missouri, talking about banning all foreign ownership which honestly is a terrible idea because mm -hmm. we have allies who invest in Missouri and we, I mean, that should be okay. And the thing is, is if you banned all foreign ownership, even if you banned the Chinese ownership of some of whether it's the hog farms, whatever it is, um, you would be losing a lot of Missouri jobs. And so the, the economic ramifications of that, uh, people are just not considering those either. And it's easy to say, but the real life application will be completely different. No, I agree. And the unintended consequences, of course, the things that we cannot see that might happen uh, could impact us negatively. You make a good point there. And it's definitely worth uh, a discussion and talking about. And, and frankly, I'm with you when I say that it does seem like it's performative politics. But I think our friend Floby Tenderson was right on Rumble when he says 98% of politics is performative. It's like, oh, yeah, it, it's when our friend Scott Fawn yeah. is talking about uh, the Republicans in Missouri. He's like, there are two kinds of Republicans. There are Republicans who talk about guns and abortion, and then there are Republicans who actually get things done. And let's be, you know, because be, yeah. and he's right. Right. No, I, he's absolutely right. I mean, and, and unfortunately, the performative is what sells. That's what gets uh -huh. voters ginned up. And I'm sorry to say that does not reflect well on the voters. It gets a lot, but it get a lot, gets a lot of likes on Facebook, as you well know. Um, uh, Camelia, I brought you on here today to talk about a chink in the pro-life armor. Did you read this article I sent you by Daniel McCarthy over at the New York Post? By the time the ab abortion makes the ballot, the battle's over? I did. Um, really you interesting. You it for us. So when I first read it through, I will tell you that I, uh, I raised my eyebrows a little bit, and I thought that I probably disagreed with a couple of points, but then the more I kind of thought through it and read through it, I, I think in a lot of ways is really right. And basically, the premise boils down to this is that um, the pro-life movement is um, not winning because they are not winning um, with religion. Um, what do you mean? Not, well, his what he is saying is that the pro-life movement has kind of moved to starting to argue for life from a scientific standpoint which I think is a good thing. I mean, like, I think we need to do that. I think that's much more persuasive, but it's also, I don't know that it's going to be what convinces someone. And that's his point too, is that it, that's not what's going to be what convinces someone who's pro-abortion um, to suddenly become pro-life. But what he does say 
is that, you know, people are leaving the church. And if you want pe more people to be pro-life, you need to get more people into church um, because that's where the vast majority of pro-life people, you know, that's the demographic. So you, I mean, the problem, of course, with that is that our, ourselves looking at things from that more secular perspective, um, not necessarily the conclusion that we would want to draw from this, but from a practical, tactical perspective, being that we are both pro-life, um, probably true. Uh, yeah, I think so. And when I first saw him, when I first saw him make the assertion that um, Christians have moved to making the argument for life from a scientific point of view, I was like, are you sure about that? Because, <laughs> you know, like historically that hasn't been true because the push has been that, you know, God that like, because God created us that, you know, all life, um, their life has sanctity. And so, and I think that's the way it was all when I was growing up. And I just always remember thinking like, People who don't necessarily relate to that, that's not going to be what sells it to them. Like you, there's got to be a different approach. And I do think that the pro-life movement did start to, has started to grasp that and has started to move in more the direction of when does life begin scientifically, heartbeat bills, those kinds of things. I'm not so sure that's doing it either, because really the people who are pro-abortion are not necessarily coming at, they say they're coming at it from science. But I don't know that they're really coming at it from science because the arguments are really all about convenience. They're all about the hardship that it creates. It's all about, um, you know, the emotional and um, mental and physical health impact of abortion. And so, or well, of, you know, having a child unexpectedly. So I think that, um, I think that there still yet has to be another approach. Do I think that it's going to work to just get people back in a church? No, it's like that's a much larger can of worms. And I think this is overarching what we're facing in society in general now because, you know, we have a decreasingly religious population. And so there are that's there are some ramifications that come along with that, whether that's, you know, good or bad, I guess we have yet to see. I mean, in a lot of ways, there are there are a lot of negatives that come along with that. I saw a really good comedy sketch the other day. I can't remember who the comedian was when he was talking about uh, abortion. He was he was saying that it, it's really funny, the the irony or the perhaps the hypocrisy of the left, that they get really upset whenever you call someone retarded, or you say someone's a retard, but they're perfectly fine with aborting retarded children. So it's not it's okay to murder the retarded children, but it's not okay to call anyone retarded. I enjoyed that little bit of irony there. <laughs> you know, I so I was in a meeting the other night um, in Joplin, and the the state senator for this area had hosted this event, and she had like Missouri Right to Life representatives there, and you know a few other people. And when she was talking, the senator was talking. One of the things she said. Um, was that in terms of the language that we use, that when you have an abortion to save the life of the mother, she said, we need to stop calling that an abortion and start calling that preterm delivery. And like, I have never heard that. It, I be honest, it does not sit well with me. Um, it just, it doesn't, 
it doesn't feel honest in a lot of ways. Um, and it doesn't seem to convey what's really going on. And I think I personally think that's a mistake um, to try to do that. Not to mention, I don't think that it's going to work at all. Um, I hope is that technology solves this problem in the future, because we can say, you know, there's this concept that's been talked about in libertarian circles for a number of years called evictionism, where yeah. perhaps a mother has the right to evict the tenant, but not to murder the tenant, right? You have a you have someone who lives at your home, you can kick them out of your home, but you can't murder them, right? So it's one thing to remove the baby from the womb. It's another thing entirely to take a pair of scissors and stab it in the back of the head. Like, Maybe in the future, because of artificial womb technology and perhaps, you know, other sorts of technology that might emerge, we might be able to say comfortably, okay, you don't want the baby anymore? That's fine, but you can't kill the baby. Sure. Was it Walter Block that um, did it? Okay. So I remember I listened to that. Yes. Listened to um, a debate on that one time, and it was uh, had a super interesting discussion with someone, but it's, it's certainly something uh, to chew on and think about. But I will say that this is, and actually what you said, this is the point that I have made about this for a long time now, is that or health technology, you know, medical advancements are going to eventually make artificial wombs possible. And so that will be an option for us. But what does that say about us that we value life based on how convenient it is because of our technology? I mean, that just honestly, from a moral perspective, does not reflect well on us as humans, because really then what it comes down to is women not being willing to make the sacrifice, um, you know, to bring that life into the world because it's inconvenient. And it is, I'm not trying to downplay that. It disrupts your life in every way possible. But there are still, for all that we talk about this, there are still people who are always spending tens of thousands of dollars to adopt children. There is a demand for people to adopt children. And so it's not like, you know, that there's that it's not a possibility. So I just so so I maybe the answer the is we need it. to legalize baby selling. Huh. Isn't, isn't, uh, isn't that funny, though, because it sounds insane. But if you think about it, imagine like if, I, if, yeah. if imagine if rather than like, you know, paying tens of thousands of dollars to the state to adopt a right. child, you would pay the tens of thousands of dollars to the mother who's about to abort the child. And then she's like, whoa, you are you telling me right now I can make a lot of money on this baby? Well, I'm going to have this baby because I can go and get me some <laughs> ding dongs and get my hair did, nails did, everything did. Uh, oh, my gosh. It sounds horrible, but if it results in fewer abortions, I mean. Well, it, isn't this what surrogacy is? No, surrogacy is when you, ab you, you have someone planned and you do that deliberately and you sometimes use the DNA or genetics of someone who is involved in that because the other person can't do it for whatever reason, right? Well, I, I know, but I'm just saying when we're talking selling babies, like mm. that's essentially S what surrogacy is. So, yeah, to an extent, right? I know that the problem is, is that any solution, <laughs> the problem is this, is that any solution that makes the, that would make the left happy necessarily makes the right unhappy. So it's like when you talk about artificial wombs or surrogacy or selling babies, all of a sudden the conservatives are like, no, wee, Jesus said it's not okay, right? And then it's like, but we're saving babies' lives. And they're like, no, it's the devil, it's technology. I will admit that, you know, there there probably are some good arguments that would be opposed 
to oppose, you know, artificial wombs and surrogacy. That, I've already you know, seen I can, it. I can understand. Right. Sure. Well, here's the thing, though, is that everything's a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. So one way or the other, we're going to have to accept trade-offs because um, as much as you and I may hate it, people have been aborting babies since the beginning of time. And they've just been using different ways to do it. And I think that our challenge is is to preserve life as much as humanly possible and with all that is within our power. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think we have to walk that line carefully with, you know, how much we actually interfere and whether or not that will be a good thing. Can I say something deeply, deeply offensive, Camelia? <laughs> you ever not? <laughs> okay. If one were to believe in a a non-secular worldview, if one believed in a metaphysical worldview, a world where a God controlled uh, everything from beginning to end, most of the abortions then would be committed by God because most of the ones that die are from miscarriages. Therefore, God would be the biggest abortionist. Okay. (laughs) Which is why it's great to not believe in the hoo-ha, and it's just a natural consequences of natural things that happen in nature. Right. But if I were a theist, I would say, well, (laughs) the greatest number of abortions is caused by the one who controls them all. Okay. (laughs) I will let you have that one. That's cold, AP. That's cold. I know I'm getting, I know I got a lot of angry viewers this morning. (laughs) I know I got a lot of angry viewers this morning, but it is nice. It is, Uh, it is better, I feel like, to be secular pro life because. I do think that the arguments are stronger in regards to having a base, a more, when you have a moral underpinning that doesn't necessarily require some kind of miraculous inception, then you can, I think, convince more people. I don't agree with the Daniel McCarthy article here where he says that the, you know, the simple answer to this is just to get more people in church. Cause like you said, no, it's, it, it opens, simplistic. it's, it's right. overly simplistic. Right. But, but right. that's the, but maybe they're right. Maybe here's the things, Camelia, maybe we need to stop appealing to people's better nature. Maybe we just need to be like regular politicians and just treat people like they're stupid and just talk down to them and give them the third grade reading level. You know, like, like I, I, maybe we really do just need to, if we want more freedom, we're going to have to, we're going to have to talk to people like they're stupid and pretend like, and, and lie to them because they obviously don't know that, um, you know, they're obviously too stupid to know the truth. Right. So just, you know, give them the, pacification of the masses if it results in more liberty then the ends justify the means do they not i would like to think that as a species that we can continue to advance beyond (laughs) this and that and i and i believe that people are capable of more and that's why people like you and i are out here (laughs) talking about things like this um but you know what here's the thing we have kind of demonized when you mentioned you know our, our base nature and um you said something about, oh, well, you said something about Bill Gates earlier, and it's really more, honestly, about lining his own pockets. Mm-hmm. And that's just it, isn't it? Is that this really all comes down to self-preservation and capitalism and greed. And someone, a mutual friend of ours, shared a little clip from Wall Street, a movie which I have not seen yet, but now I am intrigued and want to. And it was a whole diatribe about how greed is good. And greed is good. And that's like, most people are like, what? No, it's not. That's terrible. That's, you know, but actually greed is good. And 
um, it, because people do things in their own self-interest, but in doing that, they also create value for other people. And I think that Yes, that was gonna be my argument with the Bill Gates thing. Sorry to interrupt. Because what I was gonna say about the Bill Gates thing is that he is playing on people's idiocy. He knows that people think that the lab grown meats are gonna be better or that the vegan, you know, whatever is, you know, the vegan crap that he's gonna make at his farm. He knows that people are stupid. He's going to lie to him and tell him that it's healthier and that it's better for him and eat this meat because it's because everybody's going hippie crunchy granola and going off into this whole organic is, you know, is better. Don't eat the GMOs and all this stuff. He's hey, listen, he's playing on people's stupidity. He's becoming a billionaire. What are we doing? Right. Podcasts and being broke. (laughs) Well, Maybe we need to start lying. Maybe it's, you know what? Founding Flavors Coffee will make your your Bic Digger and will make, you know, uh, I'll make you a man, a real man in bed. Go to APForLibertyShop.com and you'll never, your wife will thank you. Uh, Yeah, okay, maybe not. Uh, No, I just, you know, I think that it takes all kinds, first of all, and there are always going to be people who are the thinkers in society and there are going to be people who are the leaders and people who are the followers and this has been true throughout time and i would like to think that as we develop as a society and uh you know we are in a i know i know like you're like no people are not going to be that like we're in a decadent society we you know people are getting dumber i get it well yeah i get it but the thing is it's like here's and and it's true things may have to get worse before people are like like we have to do something different, like what we've been doing is not working. But my hope is that, you know, when we go through this cycle of rise, 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 people get apathetic, comfortable, they quit thinking for themselves. And like, we've got to have hard times, you know, to wake everybody up. COVID was a little bit of that, that maybe like the next time we like level up just a little bit more and like we keep, you know what I'm saying? I agree. I agree. When it comes to my politics, I invest in liberty for the future. When it comes to my finances, I invest in companies that are manufacturing edible bugs and I buy the military industrial complex stop stocks because I expect that most people are stupid. They're going to live in the pods. They're going to eat the bugs. And we're going into World War Three. Camelia, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? We talked to the ultimate QAnon shaman today or American shaman, American don't shaman. Don't call him QAnon. No, no don't call yeah, him that. There is one more thing. So I was thinking yesterday that it's November. We are nine days out from Thanksgiving. And I've not seen all the trite, you know, 30 days of Thanksgiving posts that you used to see all the time on social media. And I was like, I miss that because there's just not enough people saying that. And here we're almost at Thanksgiving. And it feels like people are just like skipping right over it and going straight to Christmas. And that's nice and all. But I really feel like we need a big, huge dose of everybody being grateful and finding the things that they are grateful for. So that's I my agree. However, we are listening to Christmas music at the Peterson household <laughs> and we have already watched the ultimate Christmas movie Die Hard the other night the other night. So Camelia yeah. Peterson, thank you for your Tuesday Thursdays. Thank you for humoring me and putting up with my uh, potty mouth and my terrible, <laughs> terrible, horrible, secular ways. Thank you. That's what friends are for, right? Have a great that's day, what friends are for. <laughs> Thanks, CJ. See you Thursday. What do you think of Camelia Peterson? Give her a round of applause. She puts up with me twice a week. And that's a lot. Speaking of Die Hard, did you guys know that uh, the AP for Liberty shop is selling 
Uh, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Christmas sweaters. What are you talking about? You didn't know that we've got awesome diehard inspired Christmas sweaters. Now I have a machine gun sweater available exclusively at the AP4LibertyShop.com. Actually, I lied, but that's what I've decided to start doing from now on so I can get rich. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, don't you want to be the coolest kid at the holiday party? Get yourself a Now I Have a Machine Gun sweater available at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. Remember, $33.33 for a sweater ain't too bad. And remember, it's being delivered to your front door, and you're supporting the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty. Get yourself a Now I Have a Machine Gun sweater at AP4LibertyShop.com. Comes in a variety of sizes. Lots of great ways to celebrate the holidays at APForLibertyShop.com. We've also got ornaments. Uh, we've got um, scarves. Did you guys see the American flag scarf that we have? American flag infinity scarf. You can get that at APForLibertyShop.com. Remember, $20, that's delivered to your front door. Shipping is included, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, Andy Opperman says there's a Christmas tree up already at my house already. Yes. Amen. It's time. This morning we were uh, we're listening to the Drifters. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, you know. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones we used to know. Doop 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 doop. doop. All right, well it's time for the American Shaman. He stormed the Capitol on January 6th, and now he's storming into Congress, running as a libertarian in Arizona. We'll talk to him when we get back on the Wake Up America Show at WakeUpAmericaShow.com. Yes, uh, the, the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this has been disgraceful. Without a doubt. I can't go on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's been absolutely disgraceful. I think that, I think that her, her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication, it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them disreputable. Whoa, uh, good morning. Um, I was Ben Shapiro talking about his employee, Candace Owens, and her views on the Israel-Gaza conflict. Good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. How are you doing today? It's nice to see you. Do me a favor, will you? Click that like button, subscribe to the channel, help us to grow the show. Help us to spread the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty by joining us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time here on the Wake Up America Show where we fight for economic freedom and personal liberty five days a week, baby. You love it. It's a great way to start the day, as well as obviously a cup of delicious Founding Flavors coffee. And we've got we've got some great, awesome changes coming to the Founding Flavors coffee brand coming today. So today would be a good day to get in your orders for Founding Flavors coffee, especially because if you sign up for like a monthly subscription or maybe even two weeks for some of you who are really addicted, and I know some of you are, then it's a great way to stock up so that when you hit those holiday partings, parties and you're dancing and drinking eggnog, you know, and somebody's like, oh, did you bring a bottle of wine for, for the party? Your wife is like, oh, did you bring a bottle of wine? And you're like, hell no, I know that my buddy Jake loves America, so I bought him a whole bunch of Founding Flavors coffee, right? You can get those at AP4LibertyShop.com. My favorite, number one, is Thomas's Painkiller Coffee. If you haven't tried it, it's our Colombian single origin coffee at AP, the number four, 
AP4LibertyShop.com. Arvolt24 on the Ben Shapiro question says, if Ben Shapiro doesn't fire Candace, I will actually respect Ben. It takes a lot to allow your employee to say what you hate. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I was just playing the clip. We're supposed to be talking to our buddy, the QAnon shaman, or excuse me, America shaman. Sorry, I'll try and get that right. Jake Angela Chansey, he is a candidate now for Congress in Arizona, where I believe it is two hours earlier here than it is now. So that means that it's 6.30 a.m. where he is. It's quite possible that um, he has not woken up yet and that he might have gotten the times confused. But when I did say 8.30 Central, I did mean 8.30 a.m. Central. Hopefully it's just a little snafu and he will be joining us here in the next few minutes. But you know what? Here's the thing. Whenever I got a candidate who's running for office as a libertarian, I just kind of figure that they're going to mess the time up. They always do. And I'm not saying that he's smoking, waking and baking and smoking and getting high or something like that, but he might have done it last night and then he's not awake this morning. So, so sad. Sorry. Not my fault. So what does that mean? That means that we fall back and we talk about the topics that our listeners have been texting us in. Actually, somebody sent me this Ben Shapiro clip and uh, over to our text line this morning at 573 573- 319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Let us know what's what's on your mind. And let's hear this clip again from Ben Shapiro where he's talking about Candace Owens' behavior during the Israel Gaza yes. conflict. Wait, wait, wait. And then the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this is I think that I think that her her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication; it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them disreputable. Disreputable, huh? That's interesting. I wonder what your thoughts are on that topic. Speaking of dis- disreputable, we've been uh, playing this clip uh, earlier of John Oliver's criticism of um, Israel's conduct during the same conflict. Let's uh, continue along now. Remember, this is sophistry here. So lies told in a way to make them sound beautiful. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and start from the beginning again. We did play a couple minutes of it earlier, but we're going to go ahead and start over because we've got 30 minutes to kill. So let's take a listen and analyze what John Oliver has to say. Through strength, which has included active opposition to the peace process at crucial points. When former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin agreed to the Oslo Peace Accords, which attempted to set a framework for an eventual resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Netanyahu was fiercely against it, infamously speaking at a rally where protesters chanted, in blood and fire, we will expel Rabin, and held aloft depictions of him in a Nazi uniform. Soon after that, Rabin was killed by a far-right Israeli extremist, and Rabin's widow blamed Netanyahu for stoking the flames that led to that. Well, if his widow blames Netanyahu, well, then I guess obviously the rest of us should too, right, John? You absolute, utter retard. And in the wake of that assassination, Netanyahu's political career seemed dead. And it wasn't until a series of bus bombings by Hamas in Israel as part of their own efforts to derail the peace accords that Netanyahu was first elected prime minister. And his message of, I am the only one who can keep you safe, has been consistent ever since. Here he is in the run-up to Israel's 2014 election. Now, let's hear if his message is, I am the only one that can keep you safe. John, you made a claim Making of fact. Let's see again. if you back it up. I feel the Jewish nation is under threat 
and I'm prepared to mitigate that danger. Now, that doesn't sound like him saying, I am the only one who can protect us from that threat, John. You made a statement of a claim of fact, and I guess your audience, who are too stupid to understand how they're being manipulated, won't know that you just lied. But for those of us who watch the Wake Up America show and who are much more keen when it comes to politics, we know that you it's just what lied. what the state of Israel expects from me, and it's what I'll do. Johnny. Interesting. So where was the I'm the only person who can keep you safe? He was saying that he will keep us safe and that he would fight to keep us safe. Obviously, politic all politicians are going to make these claims. What? Where's the gotcha here, John? That is a big claim that just hasn't dated very well. Honestly, I haven't seen a politician's words age so... Hasn't aged that well. Okay, well, why is it... Is it his fault that Hamas committed oh, a terror Hillary attack? Clinton tweeted, happy birthday to this future president. Do you blame rape victims for their own rapes, John? Because it sounds very eer eerily similar to the type of arguments that you're making so here. So he has always been hard right, but it's worth taking a minute to underscore just how extreme his... He has always been hard right. Always been hard right. Well, that's fascinating. Hard right. So we're, so what is, when, when someone on the left says that someone is hard right... All they're doing is signaling to their audience, you're supposed to hate this person. You're supposed to hate this person. When I call them hard right or far right, you're not supposed to like that person. Don't like this person. Whatever you do, demonize this person and hate this person because they're His current far right. government is. Because the truth is, Netanyahu has been struggling to hold office in the last half a decade. Voters there actually endured oh. five elections in just four years because neither Netanyahu nor anyone else could form a stable majority. He only made it back into power last year by forming a coalition with those on the furthest right wing of Israeli politics. Wow, sounds based in red pill to me. Keep going further and further right until you get to the part where you're all the way to the right and you're actually right wing, not the fake, fake right wingers that we all are sick and tired of trying to represent us like Nikki Haley, et cetera, et cetera. Leading to the most right wing government in the country's history. His cabinet is stocked wow. with extremists. Awesome. Take Itamar ben Gavir. He's been convicted on at least eight charges, including... Let's look him up. Be Itamar ben Gavir. Okay, let's see. Let's look up Itamar ben Gavir. Itamar ben Gavir. Okay, he's the Minister of National Security of Israel. He's an Israeli lawyer. And I love how Wikipedia starts out. And far-right politician who serves... He's not... He's not a right-wing politician, right? He's not a conservative. He is far right, according to Wikipedia, right? And he's a member of the Knesset and leader of the Otsma Yehudit. Okay, so Wikipedia is already telling us that we're supposed to hate him. Ben Gavir, this is what they describe him as, is uh, known for his openly racist anti-Arab views and activities. Oh, is that how he's known for, being openly racist? Because whenever somebody, the left says somebody's racist, I just assume that that means that they're based in red pill because the left calls anything that's good or anyone who is opposing the left as racist. So racist doesn't actually mean anything anymore, unfortunately, and the left has killed that term. On January of 2023, he visited the Temple Mount where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is located, spurring an international wave of criticism that labeled his visit as purposely provocative. Wow, his presence is provocative. How dare you actually show up somewhere? Right, this reminds me of the kind of uh, idiots that we see on leftist campus. Your presence here is a problem. The kind of who, who cancel Ben Shapiro 
from appearing because they just can't have someone just appearing. So, so, okay. So he's already a racist. He's already far right. Right. And, and so they've already demonized him. He's an extremist, they say, right. Uh, he is, uh, let's see, let's, let's get his terrorism ties here. Terrorism. Okay. So he was known to have a a portrait in his living room of Israeli American terrorist, Baruch Goldstein. Okay, here we go. Baruch Goldstein was an Israeli-American mass murderer, religious extremist, and physician who perpetrated the 1994 Cave of the Patriarchs Massacre in Hebron and the Israeli-occupied West Bank in an incident of Jewish terrorism. Goldstein was a supporter of the Koch, a religious Zionist party that the United States, the European Union, and other countries designate as a terrorist organization uh, Baruch Goldstein. Okay, so he's got a picture on his wall. He was known to have a portrait in this living room of Baruch Goldstein. Interesting. What you might know, not know about Austin Peterson, by the way, is that all over the walls of my house, I have propaganda from World War II because I collect propaganda from World War II. And it's not all the good guys' propaganda. Some of it is the bad guys' propaganda. Does that make... I actually have the Soviet propaganda uh, sitting above my computer desk of two Russian communists who are fighting against the Nazis on the home front outside of Moscow. I guess that makes me a communist, right? All right, obviously, duh. Uh, yes, it's what makes me a communist. But I mean, these arguments from John Oliver are so supporting a terrorist organization and incitement to racism. He was once considered so fringe, the Israeli army rejected him from mandatory service. Like, that is a bad thing. Like, oh my God, he was rejected from mandatory service for being too based in but Red he's Hill. he's now Netanyahu's Minister of National Security. Meanwhile, his current Whoa. finance minister, Betzalel. Dude, I want the people who are the head of my national security to be monsters. I don't know about you, but I sure as am not, am not putting an anarcho-capitalist pacifist as the head of the Department of Defense. Are you? Do you really want, do you want somebody, do you want some leftist purple-haired uh, vagina to be the head of national security for your country. I'm sorry, no. No, no, no. I want the head of my national security of my country to be an absolute monster. I want them to be kept under lock and key of the civilian president of the United States, but I want the monster, okay? I don't want the person who's in charge of killing people and breaking shit to be some little, to, to wear doggy masks and to talk about their fetishes in public. I don't want to hear them talking about non-intervention in the time of the 1880s. I don't want to hear from any anarcho-capitalist pacifists on, on, on when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars. Libertarians won't go to war, man. They'll smoke weed and run for Congress and they'll forget that they had an interview in the morning cause it's way too early Aquarius don't go to war man whatever you do God please do not ever let these people take power in this country I'm sorry folks but no I want the people who are in charge of killing people and breaking stuff to be damn good at it. I want them to be under control, constitutional, but when it's time to unleash the dogs of war, I want them to have tasted blood. I, I don't want to go out and start shit 
But when somebody starts shit, I am going to wear your skin. I am going to take you out and I might take out your entire family. I want people to know that if they threaten me, if they come at me or my family or my friends or my neighbors or our churches or our communities, I want my enemies to know I will drink their blood. I will kill you. I will find you. I will let nothing stand in my way. Throw a million children in between me and the bullets. I will fire at you and I will keep firing and I will lay the moral blame for all the innocents who die on those who started it. You don't want none, don't start none. Don't start none, won't be none. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Uh, Nelson65 says, Austin Peterson admits on his internet show that he is a communist and admits to having Russian propaganda on his walls. No, no. Anyways, let's get back to John Oliver. Smotrich has said, is there a Palestinian history or culture? There is none. There is no such thing as a Palestinian people. He's also advocated for victory through settlement. Very basically, seizing land in the West Bank and driving Palestinians from their homes to the point where, quote, I abort their hopes of establishing a state. The base. I mean, if you're a true anarchist, of course, you don't want them to start a state because, of course, that would be statist. You would. Pro- I, mean, I always love the anarchist arguments that I've been hearing in the last several weeks from my anarchist friends in the liberty movement who are like, I support a two-state solution. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Shouldn't you be supporting a no-state solution? You absolute, utter Settlements morons. Settlements are widely understood to be against international law, yet Smotrich wants a massive expansion of them. And Netanyahu gave him a special role in charge of settlement affairs. But perhaps the most surprising way that Netanyahu has actually jeopardized Israel's safety is that for years he deliberately used Hamas as a way to undermine the Palestinian Authority, a rival to Hamas which administers parts of the West Bank and has much more legitimacy on the world stage. Oh, okay. So there it is. There's the problem. His argument against Netanyahu is that he used Hamas Uh, which is his enemy against his enemy. So he's arguing against an enemy of my enemy is my friend strategy. Let's just, let's ignore for a moment that that is a completely and perfectly legitimate war strategy. And that when you are in a conflict and you're fighting for your life, that if you can pay the mullahs of whoever, what Durka Durkistan to go and fight against their enemies as well, in order to get the enemy that you see as the greater threat taken out before you take out your other enemy. Let's ignore the fact that that's a totally legitimate wartime strategy and that the founding fathers used that strategy when it came to fighting the Barbary pirates in, in, this, in the early 1800s, late 1700s, when we had to pay the Barbary pirates before we had to kill the Barbary pirates because at some point the cost of going to war was less than it was to, to pay them uh, the insane ransom demands that they had. Okay, let's ignore that all of that stupid crap that, that all that actual legitimate war strategy and engage in more sophistry where he's saying, okay, well, they're more accepted. They, he's, he's working against these people who are more accepted on the international stage. So now we're citing international law that we're supposed to be listening to? Oh, because so the international community, the United Nations accepts the PLO as more legitimate. So, so that's a, the, the problem. If anything, that probably was with the signal right there that these guys are actually worse and more dangerous because the international community Experts supported them. say that the idea was basically divide and conquer. If Palestinian leadership remains split, 
and one of the main parties at the table has a terrorism label on it, it's going to be much easier for Netanyahu to refuse to engage with them and say that he has no partner for peace. Here is Smotrich explaining that strategy out loud in 2015. The Palestinian Authority is a burden, and Hamas is a terrorist organization that no one will recognize and no one will give its status in the ICC. No one will let them yes. lead a decision in the Security Council. The main pitch we are playing right. now is international delegitimization. Hamas, at this point, in my opinion, will be an asset. Hamas. Okay, yes, just like the Mujahideen of Afghanistan was an asset against the Soviets because the Soviets were a greater threat in the 1980s than the Mujahideen of Afghanistan was. See, the problem with all of these uh, arguments is they completely have a total misunderstanding or, or ignorance of actual war theory. We can debate what is a just war all day long, and certainly as libertarians, we should be studied in what is a just war. But when the war is here, when the when the battle is uh, is at your footstep, when when the terrorists have already attacked, how do you fight the just war? How do you do that, right? And how do you prevent the international community, which by the way, libertarians are rightfully hostile to, how do we prevent the international community from mucking it up and our ability to defend ourselves from all these pacifist pukes in uh, the, the, the Norwegian Us countries an and elsewhere? If you are calling the group that has repeatedly killed your people an asset, it shows pretty clearly that what you care about isn't safety, but total control. And for Okay, so maybe those two things aren't mutually exclusive, John Oliver. Maybe the safety depends on you being able to have total control over an area strip of land that has consistently launched rockets and killed your people and has now launched a terrorist attack against your people. Maybe it would have been better if they'd had total control, John Oliver. Maybe uh, Israel should not have pulled out of, of policing the Gaza Strip in 2007, which they did, and that was a problem. They did not have total control on the Gaza Strip, For and years, now look what happened. whose government was actually allowing suitcases of cash to be delivered to Hamas. Something, by the way, that earned suitcases Allow of cash, it. the title, most morally disreputable way to transfer money for the 900th year in a row. Pause for a moment there. This is one of those lies by omission. It's also one of those interesting facts. One of the time, the only times that I've seen Judge Napolitano get skunked in a debate that he had was back in 2010 when he was talking to former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld about his new book. And we, I prepared for that. I still have the notes from the preparation for that interview with Judge Napolitano. And he misspoke in that interview and Donald Rumsfeld jumped on him about that. This is, this is my point when I try and explain to my libertarian friends that if they do not have neocon friends and they do not listen to people that they disagree with, they will be, they will be if, if we continue to drink our own Kool-Aid, when we listen to the Scott Hortons and the Dave Smiths and the Liberty Lock Pods of the world about how to form a foreign policy and we drink that Kool-Aid, we will become inbred retards. And we are not going to be able to actually advocate against the ideas that neocons and Marxists and leftists and socialists and Nazis and others advocate. We're not going to be effective advocates against their ideas if we don't have our facts straight. Get the facts straight first, and then we can distort them as we please. Because what John Oliver has said is another misnomer, similar to how we libertarians like to talk about chemical weapons being, uh, being sold to Iraq. Did the United States sell chemical weapons to Iraq? Answer, no. What did, what did the United States do? Well, for a brief period, the United States took Iraq off of the list of known terror states, terror-supporting states for a brief period, which in that period of time 
was the window for Saddam Hussein to be able to buy chemical weapons uh, and biological weapons. It wasn't that the United States bought or, or sold chemical weapons to Saddam Hussein. And this was, that was where the judge bespoke. It was that they, quote unquote, allowed them to buy chemical uh, or biological weapons. But here's the thing. What do you mean allowed, right? Doesn't the libertarian want to say, oh, that we aren't going to interfere in the affairs of another country's business? We're not going to prevent them from buying chemical weapons. But the United States didn't sell them the chemical weapons, just like Israel didn't give the money to Hamas. They allowed the money to be given to Hamas. They didn't prevent the money for, to be given from Hamas. Is that what they're supposed to do? Is Israel supposed to be intervening in the foreign affairs? Are they supposed to be blocking international trade or, or, or finances from going, coming into Hamas? So you, you, they wouldn't have won either way. Because when you hate the Jews and you hate Israel and you hate the Western world and you hate the civilized world, you're going to find an excuse to justify your ideology no matter what it is. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. And the problem with the anti-war criticisms or the anti-Israel or anti-United States criticisms from leftist Marxists, from anarcho-capitalists, from, 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 uh, from those who don't understand foreign policy and don't understand the laws of war, the rules of war, the problem with their arguments is that is that they are always they are doing everything they can to confirm their biases rather than to actually look at things objectively first and to get their facts straight first but instead no they rush into and I hate seeing libertarians spouting leftist talking points it's so stupid uh, listen again to what he says here and how he explains this when he talks about the money because because libertarians say that Israel founded Hamas, Israel helped support Hamas, Israel funded they and they'll use words like Israel created Hamas, which is your people an asset. It shows pretty clearly that what you at least John Oliver gets the terminology safety, correct here, but total control. And for years, Netanyahu's government was actually allowing suitcases of cash to be delivered to Hamas. Something, by the way, that allowed suitcases of cash to be delivered to Hamas. And yet, what is the terminology that people use when they talk about Israel and Hamas? When you see from like the Ryan Dawson's of the world, you know what they say? Israel created Hamas. Is that the same thing? Is that the same thing? Really? It's not, is it? I could go on forever. Get it right. Get your facts straight. And get up early. Stop smoking so much damn weed, libertarians. It's time to get your lives together. You're not going to be able to lead a revolution if you can't wake up at 6.30 in the morning. How are you going to run for Congress and win an election if you can't get up early and show up to an interview? Guys, it's just awful. It's just awful. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the Wake Up America show today. Sorry to end on such a down note, but you know what? It's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be like 60, almost 70 degrees here in mid-Missouri. I hope it's nice where you're going to be at. Go outside. Go for a walk. Touch some grass. Smell some clean air. You know, have, drink, you know, drink in the beauty, the majesty of nature. It's going to make you feel better. That's what I'm going to do when I get home. Kiss my beautiful, smoking hot, redhead libertarian wife, who's going to be here on Friday. Listen, Grover Bentley will run riot. T-Mill 22 with your awesome flintlock. Quest Fanning. Glocas, Horatius, Horatius, uh, Andy Opperman, Floby Tenderson, Barney Styles, CJ824, Grixis, Zed the Head, 
uh, and Bitchmobile, as well as Nelson65. Appreciate y'all. Clementine, nice to see you. You're all beautiful people. If you didn't click that like button, please do so before you leave. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so before you leave. If you haven't gotten some delicious Founding Flavors coffee, please do so before you leave at ap4lilyshop.com. Today is the day to order some coffee. You will get a surprise in the mail. It will be new. It will be exciting. It will be different. Same delicious coffee, but something exciting and new. So get some tonight. AP4LibertyShop.com. Get it in. We'll see you guys tomorrow here on the Wake Up America Show at WakeUpAmericaShow.com.